Welcome to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety and technology share knowledge and experiences and discuss events and trends in food safety. Here's your host, Dr. Peter Teramina. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to episode two, where I'll be interviewing Dane Bernard. I'm very pleased to have Dane uh, share this time and bring his perspective of over 40 years experience in food safety. He is currently uh, consulting with his own company called Bold Bear Consulting, but he's being very selective about how much work he takes on, and you'll hear about more of that in a few moments. Dane received his BS from Purdue University and a master's from University of Maryland. Until his retirement, he was Global Vice President of Food Safety and Quality at Keystone Foods. His career began as a food inspection specialist in the U.S. Army, followed by various positions in Washington, D.C. at the National Canners Association, which later became National Food Processors Association, while addressing the food safety and policy needs of a wide variety of food categories. Mr. Bernard has been an invited expert to seven food safety-related international consultations sponsored by FAO and or the WHO. He's participated in working groups for various professional societies, served uh, the U.S. National Advisory Committee for Microbiological Criteria for Food, served as an industry representative to the Council 3 Science of the National Conference for Food Protection, and as an industry advisor to the U.S. Delegation to Codex Committee on Food Hygiene. A recognized process authority, he's worked on various aspects of HACCP, HACCP training, risk management, risk communication, and management of foodborne pathogens. Mr. Bernard holds memberships in several professional societies, including ASM, IFT, IAFP. He's a past recipient of the Harold Barnum Industry Award at IAFP, Carl Feller's Award at IFT, and has presented the Siliker Lecture at the 2013 IAFP meeting. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Dane Bernard. Hi, Dane. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good. It's a pleasure to be with you, and thanks for the invitation to be part of your podcast. Well, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I can tell you that years ago, when you were at NFPA, I used to um, watch your lectures at these meetings. We're actually at the IAFP annual meeting as we speak, and you were kind enough to put aside some time to have this uh, interview, so thank you. Um, What are you up to these days? And just tell me something more about what you've been up to. Sure. I retired from full-time work in 2014, and I started uh, my consulting business at that point in time. Um, not because I wanted to work again full-time, but because I wanted to stay active and engaged. Uh, I think we all put so much time into our careers that it's hard to completely step away, and I didn't want to step away. So I am pursuing some consulting work. I I am in the position where I can choose what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But I did retire for a reason, so I'd like to spend time with the grandchildren and doing other activities, family-oriented activities. Mm -hmm. I think that's great um, because there is this generational shift that's occurring from your generation to my generation and then the generation after me, which would be the millennials. Um, And there is this importance that there's 
context and historical um, knowledge that's transferred so that we don't miss the gap, miss, miss things in food safety. Yeah, well, that's entirely correct. I have all these experiences that I've been through that I'm willing to share and, and eager to share, and I, hopefully that, that that sharing brings along those next generations and uh, enriches their, their futures. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, after your long, illustrious career, which we read your bio earlier in food safety, what is your perspective on where we've been, um, the current state of things in food safety, and where do you think things are headed? Well, I'll start with the current state. I'm very encouraged by the things that I see. When you go to meetings like the uh, IAFP, for example, the number of just top quality younger people that have come into the business that are really sharp and dedicated to food safety, I think, I find very, very encouraging. Where did we come from? Uh, You have to remember that when I started in this business in the early 70s, we were worried about three pathogens, basically. We were worried about staph, we were worried about salmonella, and we were worried about CBOT. Mm -hmm. And so you can just, you know, in your own mind, you can can replay when the the next pathogen came along. When Listeria first came along, I had trouble spelling it. Uh, didn't know what it was. I can remember the first meeting at FDA where we were informed as to uh, this uh, outbreak of listeriosis that uh, turned out to be linked to sheep manure, which had been used to fertilize cabbages that were turned into coleslaw. So there's just so many of those kinds of developments that have been oh my, and then what do you, what do, you do with them? And uh, through the years, you see the progress that's been made as we have learned about these pathogens and, and learned about ways to control them and put those in place. So, you know, if you, if you look back over time, there are lessons there that can be, uh, with people who went through that, that can be transposed and put uh, and, and used for the next challenges, whatever they may be. I mean, there, there are lessons to be learned and, uh, and another reason to have the consulting opportunity to share those experiences. Mm-hmm. We Can Communicate has fostered food safety and quality or has it created problems? Um, I see the potential for problems and I think occasionally it does. I mean, we've all... Uh, done emails in the evening and maybe you weren't at your sharpest and you hit the send button and you wish you hadn't and um, you know in the snail mail days which could not exist with the pace of business today uh, you know the pace of business revolves around our ability to get things done in real time Mm -hmm. you can't go back but it brings with it just as any technological change uh, opportunities for improvement and opportunities for for classic failures too Mm -hmm. so it just is you've seen a lot of foodborne outbreaks in your career you've seen a lot of recalls and what do you think about the current state of things Uh, we have seems like a a lot of recalls in in for foodborne allergens foreign material excuse me and pathogens so are we making progress what do you think is going on um well, as I'm sure it does you, it drives me crazy that we keep having repeats for the same root cause. Mm-hmm. The knowledge of how to 
take care of and address most of these things is there. This is not new. This is not rocket science. It's just failure to execute uh, for the most part. Hmm. And are we getting better? Are we getting worse? A lot of that has to do with, with churn, as I call it, uh, where people retire, the knowledge base may go out the door. A lot of what we do uh, is based on well, all of what we do, let's put it that way, is based on people. And food safety culture captures that thought as beautifully as anything that we've talked about lately. Um, if you don't have the knowledge base at the floor level as to what to do in virtually every situation, which is the total embodiment of food safety culture, if you're depending on your experts to check things and make sure that they're right, that's a system that eventually will have an issue. And so, you know, the, the teaching of food safety issues and practices at the floor level, and things as simple as checking labels and making sure the product that went into the package is appropriately labeled, for goodness sake, why do we keep messing those things up? Mm-hmm. Foreign materials is the other area where we're having far too many recalls. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a bit more artsy you have to have the type of materials in in place and some of the new uh, x-ray equipment is excellent and we should uh, companies should be investing in it because it will save uh, in the long term it will save an issue mm-hmm. and if you prevent one you pay for this equipment and so it just uh, again the knowledge as to how to address these things is there this is not new it's just execution and getting the structure right, getting the run rules in place, and following the run rules. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and so, I guess, that being the case, do you think that we're doing enough um, in our profession on communication, risk communication, and a lot of the within companies or, or even governments that have to communicate with consumers and companies? Are we teaching enough in in this field about how to communicate risk and how to put it at the level that people understand and can respond to? Well, there's always a challenge in, in translating risk into the vernacular, if you will, or the in an understandable way to the people that need to know, which is, is the people in, in the plants and on the lines, in a way that they can relate to. Um, you and I come to meetings like we're at now at the IAFP, and we hear talks about uh, risk, and, and it's in a language that doesn't easily translate mm-hmm. and communicate to the people that ultimately need to have a simplified version of that understanding, and that that's always uh, always a challenge. I think. Can you think or name of an name of an example of in your career, either at Keystone or at NFPA, or National Canners prior to that, or anywhere else, where you had to communicate something technical and, and detailed, and, and that you used maybe a metaphor or some way to do that. Can you think of one at the, on the spot here? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> if given enough time, I'm sure I could come up with those. But that, that is the essence of it. Um, I focused a lot on my communication skills in the earlier part of my career. 
And the reason I did so was because I wanted to be in a position to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And the way you make a difference is being able to communicate difficult ideas in a way that can be communicated to the, to the audience that you are speaking to. And during my speaking opportunities, I always wanted to find out who was, what the audience was going to be. Is it technical people like you and I? In which case, you just kind of let it go because they're expected to have a certain degree of, of uh, understanding of the topic area before you get there. Mm -hmm. If I'm speaking to the people that we worked with in the factories, that's a different set of ideas, thoughts, relationships, and you, you, you must put it into things that are understandable, relate it to their families, relate it things to their everyday experiences. And so it's a, it's a different way. It, it's certainly not, um, people might say, well, you're, it, it, it's simplifying it. No, it's just translating what you need in your own brain to communicate into the words that will make a difference to them and get your thoughts across. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've been particularly effective at it, but that's been my approach mm -hmm. to it. Well, I think you have, uh, at least for this community, I've observed. Um, you and I were on a panel earlier, uh, well, last year, and I think that you talked a lot about culture, and a lot of your examples were pretty poignant and effective at that event, which wasn't necessarily all quality food safety people. So for what it's worth, I think that you do and have. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, could I... Uh, comment a little further. I mentioned food safety culture, and we hear a lot about that these mm -hmm. days. And it's the right thing to do. That is much easier to do when a company is stable. And I mentioned churn earlier as mm -hmm. being behind mm -hmm. many of our issues. It is very difficult to mature to the state where you are ready to do food safety culture at the line level if you are constantly in churn, and by in churn, I mean everything that, that you and I went through in the corporate area. Mm -hmm. This plant is sold. Mm -hmm. We get a new plant. Um, we're changing laboratories. We're changing this. We're changing that. So you have to plow through the churn and, and do what you can do, but you, you will never be completely mature, my view, uh, if there is such churn that you are that you have to drop back and make sure you take care of the basics and by taking care of the basics that's making sure that your quality assurance leads have the information that they need that their systems are robust enough to take care of those incidences uh, until you can get back to pushing the food safety culture at the right level yes that's a great point I love that because I I don't know who's attributable to this quote, but essentially uh, the success of businesses is to some degree dependent on how low you can push decision-making in terms of the hierarchy. Exactly. Yes, exactly right. Dane, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest mistakes food companies make when trying to manage a food safety system? In, in my experience, it's been getting complacent with success. There are companies which have enjoyed years without food safety issues. 
And in those years, the management may change, some senior people may change, and they don't understand the hard-won gains that came before the success. And so they begin to look at budgets, and they look at headcount, and they look at this program and that program, or they bring in the efficiency consultants who don't have the food safety knowledge. They're mostly business people, and this is part of the business cycle. It's just normal, and we as food safety professionals have to have to uh, understand that these things will happen. But I think the, the mistake that gets made is to assume that this happens without the effort that the food safety professionals have put in to build a program, and they think that things can change. And um, then you get budgetary pressures, and you have to make decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that causes churn, and I think that sets you up for mistakes. I would say that would be the number one cause of issues that I've seen in the past. The, the number one mistake that the businesses make is, is making assumptions regarding a food safety program rather than taking the time to study the program and why it's successful. Hmm. Uh, you and I never get credit for, for the lives that have been saved because of what we do. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. You never get credit for things that didn't happen. And when I was at, at Keystone, one of my staff members suggested a crawl for for that's the bottom thing on the on the slides mm-hmm. and it said we work hard to make nothing happen mm-hmm. and that's a good day in food safety yes. nothing happened yes. nobody got hurt no plants got closed that's a good day right kind of similar to health and safety for workers correct yeah. exactly so yeah. environmental health and safety is the same same sort of issue We've learned a few things from them. Maybe they've learned from us in these companies, in these food companies. Yeah, and in the corporate experience that I had, we were very close. Our offices were close. Mm-hmm. We exchanged a lot of ideas with the environmental health and safety people. So That's great. So what are you working on these days with your consulting business, or what other projects are you interested in, and what are you willing to take on at this point in your career? Yeah, I, well... Since the latter part of my career was with the uh, meat industry, I continue to do work with companies in the meat industry. Mm-hmm. And right now with the initiatives that have been announced by uh, USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, that uh, there's going to be some additional expectations on the salmonella front mm-hmm. uh, regarding meat and poultry items and non-0157 shigatoxin-producing E. coli. Those are priorities in my consulting work, looking at the current methodologies for those. What's the best course for, or the next best step regarding uh, gaining uh, uh, the next foothold on reducing salmonellosis in the country? Mm -hmm. There seems to be an undercurrent of looking at enumeration and enumerative standards rather than the Mm -hmm. plus-minus. As you and I know, and most of your, your listeners know, there's a great difference in the risk profile of something that has one salmonella versus uh, 10,000. And so uh, doing plus-minus testing doesn't and hasn't for years given us the information that we as risk managers need to make informed decisions. So you know, right now a priority in my consulting work is looking at methodologies and, and looking at what may be the next policy decisions in those areas. Okay. 
It's fascinating. So um, as far as the future, and we've kind of touched on this already, um, maybe we're, we're missing some things in culture and maybe detection methodologies were not we need to migrate away from presence absence in raw meat and poultry, for instance. Um, what about other food commodities or other gaps that you see? And, and what sort of changes should be made to address those? I think the next, the next things uh, that need to be looked at, and they're, they're already being looked at, is uh, upstream controls. Mm -hmm. I think at this point we have done um, a good deal of work and have really almost optimized the interventions that we have available to us at the processing level. Mm -hmm. There's always more and somebody's going to come up with a new widget and you know there'll be a, another leap forward and I, I hope that happens. Uh, but I, I really think that one of the fields that we'll see some real progress in because I know that there's work going on there is is the upstream how do you prevent the contaminant in the first place or how do you use competitive exclusion to greater advantage or is uh, is there increased opportunities or more opportunities to use phage for example mm -hmm. or could we take for example salmonella kentucky which does not show up in the u.s at least in the human um, uh, health arena as as a significant threat although you find it frequently in certain demographic areas in the U.S. as the predominant type of salmonella. It's not that it's absent, it just doesn't seem to be causing an issue. Could we apply CRISPR technology and use what appears to be an aggressive uh, competitor mm -hmm. to uh, exclude uh, more pathogenic strains? So there, I, there are mm -hmm. opportunities that are being worked on and I think that's going to be the next generation of uh, real progress that we see that will take us kind of to the next level. Fascinating. So transitioning over into your career here, I wondered if you could share with the audience um, just a little bit more of your, how did you get into this food safety uh, profession? What have you learned along the way? And what kind of advice would you give to a student or a young professional trying to get established? Ah, $64 question. Uh, I come from an agricultural background. Um, I grew up on a family farm, mm -hmm. and there wasn't an opportunity to continue in farming mm -hmm. just because of the, the size of the operation and the way that um, agriculture was moving at that point in time, and I didn't want to leave the area. Mm -hmm. So food science seemed to be a good uh, college pursuit to me, and so I went into the food science area and uh, got my degree from Purdue in food science, but uh, was specializing in food microbiology. And my first job was in the laboratory in, at National Canners Association. So it was just a natural evolution. When I was uh, in the Army, I was a food inspection specialist because I had a degree, uh, and it just seemed like the thing to do uh, when I volunteered for the Army to do something that I would, had already been educated. So it was, a, it was an evolution. Mm -hmm an interest that turned into a vocation and um, I've enjoyed my entire career and you ask what have I learned along the way <laughs> uh, a lot some good and some bad in five minutes or in less five no. Minutes or less. <laughs> no I'm yeah. kidding yeah it would take, it's, uh, uh, it's been good but I think the 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 life lessons are mm -hmm. probably at the, at the end of the day the most valuable and what I would uh, say to some of the younger folks coming along uh, 
first of all, when you get out of college, you want a job, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully in field to start getting some some income, and so that's your the first challenge. But once you get there, in once you kind of get your feet on the ground and, and get chugging, you should put your thinking hat on and see where you would like to be when you get to be my age. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see in the rearview mirror in terms of your own accomplishments? Do you want to be the one um, doing the, the policy work, getting involved at the policy level, and, and being able to have that kind of influence? Do you want to be a researcher? Once you make those decisions, and, and first of all, none of those decisions are final. Your decision when you're, as you're, when you're 22 as to what you envision yourself may not be your vision when you're 40. Mm-hmm. So be flexible. Accept that, that your vision will probably change, but once you have a vision, try to plot out a course as to how to get there. I was extremely mm-hmm. fortunate to work for a trade association. Mm-hmm. And that gave me an opportunity to get involved with the regulatory agencies. It got me involved with many, many companies that I could learn from. And it was just a unique opportunity. And I didn't realize at the time how fortunate I was, but I I was indeed fortunate. And that helped shape the opportunities that that came later in my career. So my my simple advice would be take a look at at where you want to be, plan how to get there, do not ignore the soft skills. You know, it goes beyond science. It goes to, if you aspire to be a manager, don't do it the way I did, which is you work hard in the lab and, and you happen to be the best in the lab, or, or mm-hmm. somebody thought you were at least, and then they put you in charge mm-hmm. and without any management skills, without mm-hmm. any management training. OJT. Oh, yeah, on-the-job training. Mm. If you want to be there, then read books about how to, how to get along with people, how to manage people, how to motivate people. Um, work with your HR people mm-hmm. in terms of getting the things that you need to be ready for the next step because the next step will come. And sometimes if you haven't prepared for it, you're just taken aback, and right. you will do things that um, are, are not as productive as it could be if you were well prepared. So don't ignore the soft skills. Make sure you take time to learn what it is you need to do to take that next step. That's great. And there's certainly lots of resources available for professional development. Exactly. And um, mentoring, if you can find a mentor. And I'm happy to talk with uh, with anybody about uh, the mistakes I've made and I've made about all you can make. <laughs> and have overcome most and survived the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very willing to share. And most, I don't know of anybody in my position who's been through most of their career that is not willing to share those experiences with, with anybody that wants to, to ask or we have the opportunity to share those with. Mm, that's out, outstanding. And I'm, cert- I'm certain that's, um, that someone will take you up on that. Yeah, um, happy to do it. What about like, and I'll just throw this in, somebody who's in the churn that you alluded to earlier in a corporation, maybe a government entity or even university that is unstable in terms of the management style and they're in their career, they're trying to get established, but they're in the churn process. The company's not, or the, the entity, their employer is not um, providing the platform from which they can optimally succeed in this field. Any, any thoughts on that? 
That's a very difficult uh, time. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody that's been through it can relate. It's a very personally difficult time because we all love to have outside reinforcement. And when you're in the middle of the churn, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, uh, there's a, a saying that uh, difficult times don't build character, it reveals it. And mm-hmm. so you have to be ready with your personal character to, to internalize Know that you're good enough. Know that you will get through this. And understand that at some point in time, you may have to make a decision to leave and find mm-hmm. a better circumstance. Mm-hmm. But through it all, we have a mandate and a duty to the consumers of whatever product we're happen to be producing to keep doing what we have to do to make sure that food is as safe as it can be based on the designs and all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's a tough time, uh, you know, and reach out to other people. Uh, your friends will, will help you through. They know how good you are and uh, give you that reinforcement that you need. But you, you just have to internalize and, and get through it. And uh, as I said, there may be a, a point where you just have to move on. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you for doing this interview. Really appreciate your insights and your time. And how can people find out more about what you're doing and get in touch with you? Well, I was just reminded yesterday that uh, not having a website is a <laughs> is a detriment to people finding me and, and approaching me for consulting work. I happen to be in a in a situation where um, enough people know me that I have all the work that I want to do. And so uh, don't go looking for Bold Bear Food Safety on the web. It's not there. Mm. But they can reach me at my email address, which is dane, D-A-N-E, dot Bernard, B-E-R-N-A-R-D, at yahoo.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Dane. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Peter. A pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety share insights. You can find more information about Aetna Consulting Group at aetnaconsulting.com. Our handle on social media is at Aetna Food Safety. Please follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, or whatever your podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to leave us a review. Until next time, think safe food.